We have liftoff. <laughs> we indeed have liftoff. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plotlines. I'm your host, Connor, and this is a very special episode, obviously, because uh, I have in person with me uh, the wonderful, the only, the illustrious Charles Poulon. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. And I'm here with Connor McHugh, the uh, magisterial proprietor of this program. Magisterial proprietor, okay. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, so we were just talking, what were we uh, discussing? We were talking about uh, funny names, uh, how to describe me, right? Yeah, handy, well, differently abled, handy capable. Uh, let's see, alternately, uh, well, how did that go? You know, there, there are all these things. I had a, a very good friend, still do actually, named Richard Cowden Guido. And Rich uh, went deaf for a period of 10 years. Uh, and then he had the uh, Rush Limbaugh surgery in the back of the head so he can hear again. Oh, okay, yes. But he was at, uh, in between when he was deaf. He, had, uh, he was at a party uh, in Greenwich Village, of course. And he began to realize there were a certain number of Blacks, a certain number of Jews, a certain number of Hispanics, a certain number of uh, alternatively lifestyle people, a certain number of this, a certain number of that. It was a PC party. Are you telling? Wait, are you telling me I don't have an alternative lifestyle? Not really. Oh, okay. But it gets worse. So one of the hosts comes up to him and says, "Oh, it's wonderful to have one of the hearing impaired with us." <laughs> and Rich looks at the guy, and he says, "I'm not hearing impaired. I'm effing deaf." <laughs> Which didn't go over very well, but you know why should it? Uh, well, would it go over? Would it go poorly with? Wouldn't it go poorly with? Like, wouldn't they be? Wouldn't they think it's they're offended or not? Not uh, they're offended. Wouldn't they be uh, uh, um, unhappy with themselves? This guy, uh, well, they just they just missed something. Him, they just uh, called him something that well, he it, doesn't consider himself. No, and the worst of it was he wasn't in that sense. He wasn't a human being to it. Sure. He was a uh, uh, what's the word? A category or a, a category? Uh, 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 a number. A number. Uh, there's a, another word. Gosh, I'm losing my mind. What? It's the we word. already know you Quota. 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 Well, you found your mind. I did. It's come back. Congratulations. Well, Miracles do happen. As my late father used to say, your head should be more than a half back. And I, I tried. But uh, no, so that, uh, that really stuck in his head, I, I must say, uh, that he was there simply because he couldn't hear. And uh, his rather uh, cruel comment to the hosts were, it's uh, it would be better if I couldn't taste. They didn't think much of the odors. Yeah, but I mean, uh, contrary wines. Is that a category? People who can't taste. Yeah, I don't know what they call them. Well, I mean, a lot of people like that who got COVID, you know, yeah. they lost their sense of taste. And everyone I know that went through that will tell you that uh, they didn't feel like eating it. Because a large part of wanting to eat this is just the pain in the belly. Not that I would know what that's like, but um, the taste is a big part of what makes you hungry. Yeah. And if you can't taste anything, eating literally becomes duty. You force yourself. Hey, I think eating is a duty for me. Really? Yeah. I just, I'm too lazy. It's too much work. <laughs> it's too much work to eat. Of course it would be. And you're not being head fed. So, exactly. It's, Where's the surface around here? Come on. Not much. Exactly. Know, that's what I, what I always uh, tell my neighbors and nieces and all that. Well, I'll take you out and feed you, not by hand. Sometimes they have to be reminded. 
But, they're, they're looking for that? Uh, not particularly. And I, I think they'd be terribly embarrassed. I would start going, here comes the airplane with a spoon, the way I did when they were little. Uh, not that I was an overbearing uncle when I was little. You weren't over. When they were little. <laughs> you were little? You were no. <laughs> you know, I, I see retirement in my future very, very soon. I hope not. What would we do? Uh, well, what, what would the world do? The world would catch on and would go on and would move on. I mean, my well, late father used to say, you know, you can tell if you yourself are completely irreplaceable and indispensable. Ow. Take a glass of water. Stick your thumb in. Pull it out. If the water is still there in the hole around where your thumb was, you're irreplaceable. But if it's gone back to surface tension, you're not that important. No. But you are important, right? Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I'm certainly around. Mm -hmm. And that uh, I'm more around than I'm square, I guess. <laughs> but no, seriously. Well, <laughs> I, I loved his line. Uh, he was at, I think, Yale or Harvard, and he'd given a lecture. And they were off, as is often the case, lecturers after giving a speech to the college. They had went out drinking. And at some point, after some weird escapade, they tried to cram into a, into a uh, taxi. And they pushed and pushed to try to get him in. And one of them finally says, Mr. Chesterton turned sideways. He says, young man, I have no sideways. And that's, I'm beginning to get there. I know how it feels. Yeah. I, I guess I was blessed with not wanting to eat very much. No, I don't know. Eating could be a tremendous pleasure if the food is good. It can, but I, I I'm just, I'm, I'm a picky and B, just have no desire for it. Like, I don't know why. I have no desire for it. I'd rather just get what I need to get to survive and move on. Well, now you remind me a little bit, although not much, of the old joke about a lady who's in a restaurant. And she calls the waitress over and says, waitress, waitress, this food is horrible. It's disgusting. What isn't overcooked is undercooked. I've gotten better out of the back of dumpsters. It's such small portions. The food's terribly disgusting, but there wasn't enough of it. Oh, yes, yeah. okay. So, yeah. so yes, makes sense. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if it makes sense, but it's, it was the joke. And you've got to explain the joke. It's not funny. Yes, I, well... Some things go over my head when I'm on a podcast. I think that, that I'm more like something's more likely to go over my head during a podcast than it is just normally in life. Really? Yeah, I think it's just like it, it's like a, something about performing, kind of almost like a, a performance uh, uh, reaction. Huh. Well, I don't know. I don't know. And if I did, I wouldn't tell anyone. Yeah. But we are here, and what are we podcasting about today? Anyway, well, that's a question. So we're here for uh, the, uh, in Texas uh, for the Blessed Carl uh, Symposium, and uh, I want to talk to you about the legacy of Blessed Charles. Well, that's that's a very uh, a very big uh, a very big issue because his legacy, if anything, is bigger now than it was when I was young, because of course. Before he was beatified. And that was a long time ago. Hey, you said you were going to poke fun at me. Yes, I know, but that's different. 
<laughs> Different because it's not you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Now you understand. Uh, no, I completely no, it's, understand. It's it's like the old uh, the old joke. The uh, I always give old jokes. There it is. How many old jokes old. are there? Like well, I most of my friends, but uh, oh, very nice. <laughs> and they're all the same age that I am. So what is that? Uh, never mind. Anyway, no, the the but there is an old joke. The uh, missionary in Africa talked to one of his new converts and he said, "Do you understand the difference between good and evil?" Must he said, oh, yes, Father. He said, evil is when my neighbor steals one of my cows. Good is when I steal one of his. And that's pretty much my outlook. See, that one didn't go over my head. No, I didn't think it would. I got that. It's, it's, it's okay for me, but not for you. That's yes. what that means. Uh -huh, indeed. But uh, no, seriously speaking, uh, when I was young, uh, basically the only people who knew about Kaiser were other people who knew their simple European history. Uh, which is a so small no one. Well, in America, yeah. Well, yeah. Small number. And uh, really, in Europe, people of a monarchist persuasion. But what happened was that slowly, 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 and despite the opposition of many in both church and state in Austria, uh, the, the impetus grew toward his beatification. In the 50s, he got his miracle. And eventually, when a man became Pope who had actually been named after he pushed the beatification through and wittingly or otherwise created his own namesake. Yeah. But, and that was John Paul II. But from 2004 to the present, when he was beatified, uh, his cultus has grown all over the world, but especially in America. And there are right now at least 20 shrines to him across the United States. What uh, constitutes a shrine? Because I imagine there aren't like, uh, aren't um, churches that are called no. Blessed Charles, because you no. wouldn't do that until St. Right? No, well, there are very few blessed. Like we had Blessed Renip Rosero Parish out in California, oh, really? Blessed John Henry Newman Parish, I know. And they all, you know, were promoted with their saints. Yeah, they all. They changed their names when he did. Ah. But you, but it's not, it's not common. Uh, what constitutes a shrine is a side altar or a space in the church with a picture and usually a relic of the emperor. And there are plenty of these in the United States, and I know two or three that are trying to set that up. Um, and his, his. Uh, the growth in his cultures is very large because people find A, that he does answer prayer, B. Well, let's put it this way. If you were my age, you were born in a country that no longer exists as it did, the United States of America. It's gone. It's and turned into, well, a raving freak show is such an unpleasant phrase. Anyway, whatever it is, it's not what I was born into. Um, Carl went through the same thing. He saw his country dissolve around him. He saw he was betrayed by virtually everyone that should have stood by him in terms of government and so on. Um, and in that, for those of us who are older, he uh, gives a wonderful example of not giving in to joylessness and hatred. 
But for younger people, he also has a lot to say. Uh, firstly, if you come from a difficult or unpleasant background, a broken home or whatever, so did he. And yet, not only did he stand good terms with both his parents, he got the best from each of them, individual or, or personality-wise. From his mother, he got his very deep piety and his uh, uh, devotion, but not her dowries. From his father, he got his devil-may-care manner, his, his charm, his easy sense of humor, but none of the promiscuity. So he took the both the best of both. As, as I say, if, if you come from a, a difficult background, a broken home, whatever, it's a great thing. Uh, another uh, thing, of course, is as a single, because he courted his wife in a proper manner, chastely. He looked for someone who shared his vision and did fall in love with her. It's a great love story. And when they married, uh, he said to her afterwards, now we must begin to help each other get to heaven, which is what marriage is about. When the children came, well, he was a very devoted. Oh, they came. Oh, they came indeed. All eight by the time he died. Uh, well, actually, the eighth was not born yet. She was little Elizabeth, still, still in the oven, as we say. Uh, <laughs> what? It's a vulgar phrase. You never heard that before? No. Bottom of the oven? No. Never heard that? No. You sure? Yep. Huh? Fine, if you say so. One lie. All right, well, maybe not. Sounds a little vulgar, though. You wouldn't hang around with people who said things like that, would you? I wouldn't have thought so. I find it more clever, actually, than vulgar. But buns in the oven, you find that, uh, I got a bun in the oven, you find that clever. At least it's, it's more clever than most vulgarity these well, days. Yeah, so, like, all right. so like people, if I was hearing vulgarity these days, it, would it be, wouldn't be clever enough to be that. All right, I'll take it as, I'll take it as red. I mean, everything has slipped downward. Yes. You know, vulgarity is, is far more vulgar and far less clever than it was. And even nostalgia isn't what it used to be. In my day, we had great nostalgia. <laughs> I, I find I'm getting, I, sometimes I'm getting the nostalgia from times I did not experience because I'm like movies, for instance, like if I, like I've watched more older movies, like one of the most recent movies I've watched, like maybe within a couple of years was The, the Sword and the Stone. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I find nostalgic. I find myself being nostalgic for a movie I just saw. Well, it's, like, what's funny about that film is that it's probably the first movie I remember seeing. It came out in 63, so that tells you how old I was. I think you're the reason I watched it. Oh, well. But, you know, I saw it again 10 years later when it came out. For the, in those days, remember, there's no video or something like that. What would happen is that every so often, movies would be re-released. So, like there was a, a big 25-year anniversary release of Gone with the Wind. Okay. So it's uh, 1939, 49, 59. Uh, so 60, 30-year anniversary. I remember that. We went to see it in the drive-in. We just couldn't see it on TV. And then when a movie like that would go on TV, it was a big deal. You know, the, the television premiere of whatever. Well, so it was with Sword and Stone. And it was went through a re-release in 1973. What I found is that all I really remembered from the original film was the opening. 
Yeah. But for some reason, that opening stuck with me all through my childhood. Have you heard the longer version of that song? I didn't know there was some audio. Yeah, they've they've a longer. There's a longer version. Really? Yeah, after shortly after. Please. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's even it's just as good. They actually. So it must have been. There are some words missing from like the uh, the actual released version, yeah. but but it's like a maybe one or two verses more. Wow. All right. I look forward to hearing it. Yeah. I found it on YouTube. No, no. See, everything's on YouTube these days. Anyway, so long and short of it is that uh, with with marriage, with fatherhood, with all these sorts of things, when, when, he, when he lost his throne and they were in exile, he threw himself into looking after his children in a way that he hadn't been able to when he was reigning emperor and king. Uh, and that was really when his children got to know him. In their memories, that time in Switzerland was the happiest time in their lives. They were there with their father. So uh, there was a lot, as they say, to unpack in Kaiser Carl's life. And I really, I really think it's a good sign that he is being embraced uh, for Central Europe. I think he has a particular importance because uh, he made the statement on his deathbed, I am suffering that my peoples might come back together. Well, that's, that's an important thing. And I can't help but wonder if the growth of his cultures in uh, Central Europe may not, in fact, help that very process by itself, you know, you know sort of natural way. Yeah. I guess the best way to put it. So uh, the well, other the other thing too is that he he shows the kind of self-sacrificial leadership that we moderns are not familiar with. We're quite used to our leaders being ready to send us to die at a Memphis like cows, but we're not used to leaders who would die for us. Yeah. And that's why any why anybody would be willing to die for their leaders is right. if they knew that those same leaders were willing to die for them. Right? Precisely, it's it's a two way relationship, and one yeah. of the one of the reasons why not anymore. One of the reasons why uh, I think patriotism so called is on the wane is that people are very much aware of the fact that the leadership aren't the ones doing the fighting. You know, not that I'm a great fan of the draft, but the fact remains that when we had the draft, uh, you had the sons of, uh, well, not daughters, but you had the sons of congressmen and senators serving the armed forces and in harm's way. Uh, you don't have that now. Instead, the armed forces are made up of the deplorables who the leadership attack constantly. Word from our affiliate, Bishop Sheen Rosaries. You've probably worn through the chain of your cheap plastic rosary. Other rosaries simply can't stand up to the wear and tear of everyday life. Bishop Sheen Rosaries are made of solid metal beads and paracord to withstand any condition and are backed with a lifetime warranty. Upgrade your rosary to a Bishop Sheen Rosary made to fit your lifestyle or buy one for a friend.
Each rosary sold supplies two weeks of food for a school kid in Uganda. You use the exclusive link down below to help support our efforts here at Plotlines. The link will take you to sheenrosaries.com. Be sure to use the code PLOTLINES10. Or the uh, uh, molded people that they mold into something. Uh, they, yeah. They, but, they, uh, it seems like either one or the other. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, you won't find the molded in combat arms. Okay. Because, I mean, you might find them in the upper echelon. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very difficult to be a woke person and go into combat. Yeah, because you're going to be bad. Well, the, the outcome could be unpleasant. There could be badness involved. And if you're, you know, a particularly privileged sort of person, you, you, you don't really want to encounter badness. The problem, of course, and to, to put our proper perspective, this year, the armed forces are 40,000 short of their recruitment. Uh, uh, what's what I want, quotas. But they're hiring 87,000 new IRS agents. Now that doesn't tell you where the government's, uh, government's uh, uh, priorities lie. Not to mention people's like willingness or what, where their interests lie. No. You know, I've, uh, I'm going to steal your money is much more preferable to them than I want to serve and defend uh, the country. At the risk of my life. Yeah, exactly. Believe me, coming in and taking your dough, no risk to me at all. Yeah, I don't think nobody's, nobody's in danger if there are uh, IRS agents. No. Though they might be dangerous to, dangerous to themselves. One uh, could only hope there's, there's some kind of relief. But the, I mean, the, the fact is, if you think about it, uh, 87,000 new IRS agents. You know, the vast majority of people do not get into trouble with the IRS simply because they don't make enough money to make the expansion, the expense of time on their cases worthwhile. There's just weren't that many IRS agents. So what do you do? Well, you go after people who have a large amount of money. 87,000 recruited it before will allow the government to go after small timers. That's something that, to think of finally. Everyone will get to do their fair share. Now, how do you reconcile sort of this, this um, I guess, politi politicized military with, with, want, with a good desire to want to serve your country? Because like, that seems very hard to like, to want to serve your country. Or like, you may want to serve your country. You may be a patriot. Now, is it healthy for you to uh, join a military that is uh, basically being uh, spoon-fed uh, garbage? See, that is a question. Probably part of the reason why the why recruitment is so low. Yeah. Because the answer for a lot of people is no. Uh, especially, if they come to see the threat from their own government as being greater than any threat from abroad. I mean, look, quite apart from the rights and wrongs, objectively speaking, the Ukrainian situation, the fact that a large number of people in our country find Putin preferable to our own president. And again, I'm not talking about realities either way. Yeah. I'm talking about perception. 
I've often said that Biden is Putin's best propagandist. You know, he uh, does his best. Uh, let's say that everything Putin says is a lie. Let's say that. Biden is making, doing his best to make his lies seem true. Yeah. And that's presuming that they're all lies, which is a whole other issue. But even if they are, the fact that Biden makes it look good is, is not. I mean, I, I had kind of a moment of truth years ago under Clinton when Yeltsin was president. Well, I liked Boris Yeltsin. He was a fun guy. And Clinton, he was a fun guy too, but not, you know, not for me. <laughs> and I realized to my horror that I liked Boris Yeltsin more than I liked Slick Willing. That was a terrible realization. I wasn't happy about it. Yeah. Those are the golden days when Pat McCannon had a column in Pravda. I mean, that was never something I thought I'd live to see. With Pravda? Pravda was the Russian communist uh, newspaper in Moscow. Wait, why did he have a... Well, see, they, they, they dropped the affiliation with the party okay. after the end of the Soviet Union. Sure. And then they hired him. That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, that was a time that was so wonderful to live in. When, when the defeat of communism seemed so complete. We thought you won. What's that? We thought we won. Well, we thought we won. We thought we won. And, and in truth, we might have if it weren't for two problems. One is, I think we mishandled Russia and Central Europe terribly. I said at the time, and I wrote at the time. Well, manage, to be honest, it sounds like managing Eastern Europe and Russia is just a bad idea. Well, the thing is that at that point, we were in a position to give them a sort of Marshall plan. We might say to welcome them back to the family of nations. Sure. We got rid of communism. You know, it's time to, time to come home. And that would have done, I think, a lot of good. Instead, uh, we bullied them and pushed them and smacked them around. And that wasn't smart. The whole Kosovo thing, nobody remembers. But Russia took that as a real slap in the face. Um, and it was interesting that at the time, the Holy See would not recognize the independence of Kosovo simply because of the insult it would have been at the time to Russia. Is that uh, Serbian ethnic? Well, it's, it's, it's a dodgy thing because the area of Kosovo was part of the cradle of the Serbian culture. Yeah. But now, and you, know, you can argue whether it was under the Turks or what the story was, but 90% of the people who live there now are Albanian. Okay. So you've got a problem where some of the most sacred sites served them are in an area primarily inhabited by Albanians. So basically we're dealing with Palestine, Israel, kind of, kind of set up. Or Northern Ireland. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, uh, it's a setup that is down to trouble. I mean, one of the things that Central Europe, Eastern Europe, the Balkans have shown is that exaggerated nationalism, I'm not speaking about patriotism now, Exaggerated nationalism has been a real, a real curse to that part of the world. I mean, during World War II, for instance, when you had the, the Polish Home Army, the Ukrainian uh, Forest Government, whatever they were called, the Lithuanian resistance, first the Germans and then later the Russians, the Soviets, uh, they're fighting the same enemy. 
but they couldn't collaborate with each other. And occasionally they'd slaughter each other's civilians. Now, what do you do with that? You know? And of course, every side, and this isn't just up there, but all the way down to Greece, every side always remembers what was done to it. Whatever what they did. No. Yeah. And you can't, in that sort of setup, you can't exercise the Christian virtue of forgiveness unless you like do. Um, and one of the importance, going back to Kazakhan, one of the big important things about him was that he epitomizes the Habsburg supra nationality. I, I read that, I said, I read supra nationality uh, recently. I'm like, is that a new word or is that always in existence? Or like, how, I guess, how old is that? I don't know, but anything. You make it up. No, I didn't make it up. But anything that's above is super. It's how we say supernatural. Well, it's not. But it's not usually supernatural. Yeah, but it's supernatural, natural, supernatural. It's the same word. Though. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Uh, but like, what, where, like, um, where does that uh, linguistically come? Well, like the difference. Is that, uh, is that uh, in English, like a, a, like a British English thing? I don't know. I'm not going to try to snow you. I don't know. The um, no. So, so what? What uh, you're left with then is a uh, it's a setup where the traditional vocation of the House of Habsburg in Central Europe is really vital to Central Europe maintaining itself yeah. between uh, Putin on the one side and Soros on the other. Yeah. Now, uh, interesting enough, like there's just so much going on in. Hungary, Italy, Poland these days. Um, so, what is your take? Well, let's play a game. Which country is what? What country is closest to uh, bringing back the Habsburg monarchy? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you see, it's hard to say because so often politicians will play with the idea, but they'll never they'll never carry through because. Just as one of the Habsburg rules was protecting their nationalities from each other, it was also, as Francois put it, protecting my people from their politicians. The problem you've got is the politicians do not want the people protected from them. Really? No, it's true. I mean, well, you know, the uh, so far for, for decades, the fox has been governing the hen house. Now, which of the foxes are in favor of bringing back the pharma? None. Well, not absolutely. Every oh, now and then okay. you get a fox who says, you know, if this place were decently managed, there'd be more chickens for me to eat. Wait, now I feel like you're, I feel like the, uh, like, uh, the, like the analogy is getting away from yes, us? Yes, I feel like the analogy is falling apart. Well, no analogy lasts forever, but no, it's not falling apart completely in the sense that uh, if you look at General Monk, who got rid of Cromwell and son, or you look at uh, Franco even, they knew that the regime they either created or inherited could not survive on its own. And uh, Franco offered the uh, rule of Spain to Otto. He did. Uh, do you think that do you think it was a mistake? A 
for Franco to uh, make the request or B, um, uh, for Otto to not accept it? Well, the reason why Otto refused it was because the uh, great grandfather of President King, Alfonso XIII, rescued him and his family from Madeira. And he felt honor bound uh, in gratitude to them. So there was no way he was going to take their throne. Do you think it would have been better if he did, though? Probably. But, you know, not having a crystal ball, he probably didn't know that. Well, I mean, given that the Habsburgs were on the throne of Spain before the Bourbons were, do you think that, uh, do you think at least there's, from a monarchist perspective, there's a more legitimate claim? In that sense, or uh, no? not really, because the uh, the Habsburgs signed off the um, the treaty ending the War of Spanish Succession. But even with that, like, I mean, there's isn't there arguments over whether or not a treaty uh, can oh I know can can really determine I what know, uh, I know I know I know I know I I my head will explode like the English. Uh, determining that uh, primogeniture or that men don't go first. Uh, you know, succession. as far as that goes, and you see this in a number of countries, including Sweden, where the, the crown prince had the title stolen from him a year after he was born and given to his own sister by parliament. Uh, At least I'll, England tried to do that. England tried to do that beforehand. Well, indeed. You know, but they got. That they lost obviously, I think that that those house rules should be in the hands of the house, not mm -hmm. parliament. Yeah, because there the presumption is that parliament is sovereign, not the sovereign. And if, if you're going to do that, you might as well just have a republic. Yeah, that way you can be owned outright by your masters instead of uh, only nominal. So treaties, because they were conducted by the families? They, they were given by the families. Of course, you get into some weird things in the treaties, and I'll explain what I mean. Uh, the, that treaty that ended the Spanish uh, succession, the Treaty of Utrecht, also had uh, in it the, the renunciation of the throne of France by uh, Philip V for himself and his descendants for the express purpose, and this is in the treaty, of keeping France and Spain from ever being ruled by the same war. Yeah. All right. So, you're in nine, fast forward, 19th century, you have the Carlos Wars. The Carlos are obviously the main line, the, the older line. Also, yeah, so the, why, why would Frank, Franco didn't bring back the main line? Well, or did he? Well, no, here's the problem. <laughs> This is why I say my, my head hurts. In 1936, the main line died out. And the Alfonsinos became the senior line. Okay. But there was a law in Spain from way back when that any branch of the royal family that took up arms against the king could never inherit the throne. Okay, so, so as far as the Carlos were concerned, were concerned, a lot of them anyway, the Alfonsinos could never be king. And then which branch is it? The next senior branch was the House of Bourbon Parma. Okay, but who was, uh, wait, never mind. Okay, yeah, go on. Sorry. So, uh, guess, Otto's uncle, well, you remember Otto's mother was Zeno Bourbon Parma. Yes, exactly. 
her brother Xavier was nominated by most of the colonists as their king, Don Javier. Um, and it was Don Javier and his son, Don Alfonso, who were played off against uh, Don Juan and Juan Carlos by Franco. He would occasionally favor the one, then favor the other, and go back and forth. But finally, having served under Alfonso XIII, he, uh, and he, he had nothing, no interest in Don Juan, the son of Alfonso, he thought was too liberal. So the, wait, isn't that the, the son of Alfonso, the father of Juan Carlos. He became king. king. So he gave him the throne anyway? Yeah. But he not to the father. The father was still alive. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. But I thought you said that. All right. The, the Alfonso XIII's son. Okay, he had two sons. Yes. The oldest son was called Don Jaime. But Jaime had, uh, uh, he was deaf and blind. So it was figured he could never be king anyway. And he was persuaded by his father to give up his claim to the throne of Spain. But when the main line of the French football died out, the Spanish football became the next senior, specifically the Carlos. They die out. And so for those French royalists who refused to accept the House of Orléans, they looked to first the Carlists and then to uh, the Bourbon Bar. Okay. Uh, sorry, not the Bourbon Bar. Yeah, the Alfonsinos. Mr. Tech wants to give me Lyme disease. Didn't work out well for him. Huh? But like you. Uh, I can't blame them. So, uh, no, so what happens then is that this is a little confusing. So let me see, what's an easy way I could do this? All right, we'll do it like this. House of Bourbon, you ready? Main line, the House of France. It goes extinct in 1883 in the main line, gone. Second, the Carlos line, senior line of the House of Spain. Extinct, 1926. The Alfonsinos, now Juan Carlos and his son Felipe. After them, the Bourbon Farmers. Okay. And then after them, the Bourbons, the two sisters. All right. So, and then the very last, the House of Orleans, which descends from Louis XIV's brother. Okay, so the Orleans are the, the Yes, but the only undisputably French branch. Meaning because they... They've always lived in France. They have no connection to any other country. And so their proponents would argue, because of the Peace of Utrecht, they're the only ones to be kings of France. The legitimists, after the death of the, the last Carlist, and the uh, uh, Don Jaime renouncing the throne of Spain, well, he's renounced the throne of Spain. So therefore, ipso facto, he is the senior Bourbon, that we know, and he could be claimed to the throne of France. Now, I know what you're saying, but he's deaf and blind. Well, that's true. But he had children that got married, or got married and had children, I should say. Was he always deaf and blind? And his uh, son, Alphonse, he became an active claimant to the throne of France. 
and it's his son, the Duc d'Anjou, who is now the uh, Louis the Duc d'Anjou, is called Louis Van, Louis the Twentieth, by his supporters of France. Those are legitimate. He's incredibly likable, at least from yeah, writes good stuff and everything else. Yeah. Now, Yolionista uh, is uh, Jean, who I guess would be Jean Set. The Count of Paris. Uh, the Count of Paris now. He was the Duke of Vendôme while his father was alive. Anyhow, uh, meanwhile, the Bourbon farmers, they say Don Javier took over the claim to Spanish son of the Carlists. His son, Carlos Hugo, did the same. But before his father died, he married a Dutch princess who converted. This was a big deal in the Netherlands, big problem in the 60s. And then he became a communist 100. and renounced the, uh, the throne. But then, and his, his younger brother, Enrique Sisto, what's that? But, but wait, there's, there's more. But there's, there's never an end to this stuff. Yeah. Uh, what should happen? But that uh, Enrique Sisto is accepted not as king, but as regent when his father dies by most of the colonists. Then his brother, the older, the older brother, says, no, no, just kidding. And I'm the head of the colonists. So a minority supported him. He died, and his son, who was his heir, of course, uh, asserted his right to his father's claims. He and his uncle are not on the best of terms. And it's all a problem. Fortunately, like well, all of it. I mean, in a sense, like I mean, you have the Alfonso, uh, the Alfonsinos, the Alfonsinos like, and then you have the Carlists who can't decide uh, what's up and what's down. No, it, it gets pretty difficult. And then, although, well, look, what's it's important to remember that the their divisions were not just over genealogy, but also ideology. Because the Carlists favored a very traditional monarchy, whereas the Alfonsinos traditionally wanted the crown republic by England. So, it, yeah. these things, believe me, they're difficult to understand in two second sound bites, no, but no. they make sense. I'm just, uh, it just makes me sad. It makes you sad? Yeah. Oh, how, uh, how, uh, how, how much division there is just within, like, you know. Oh, yeah. This, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, especially, well, I neglected the Bourbons, the two Sicilies, but it's their turn now. Oh, no. They are, of course, the next, the, the, the next junior branch to the Orléans. The Archduke was really not kidding uh, about uh, you say, talking until you uh, had everything, uh, said everything you needed to say. Well, uh, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, you know, the, the problem is, I'll tell you, rarely is this stuff set out as plainly as I'm trying to. No, yeah, you and, are doing a fantastic job. And one reason why people go in for all sorts of weird fake orders and things like that is they don't know about this. Yeah, they don't know who's who. No. And, and so, they, just want, they just want to grasp onto anything that seems uh, or smells of tradition or, yeah. or nobility. But they don't know what nobility is or where it came from or well the difference between nobility and royalty. Well that's you know, and that uh you know sometimes I'm 
that to me even sometimes that seems synonymous in some ways in, so, in the sense of a royal is noble yes but a noble is not necessarily royal it yes, gets exactly. again yeah. you, you have to know your history i mean for example there are in the holy roman empire there were certain there were different ranks of nobility that had different lands different fees the larger nobility were uh, called the Reichs from Mittelbach, which meant that they were, they, if you think of feudal lords, they had no feudal lord other than the emperor himself. Okay. All right. A Congress of Vienna, all of these houses were stripped of their sovereignty, but they were given a reward or a consolation prize. They were all made royal marriage. So they could royal marry into a uh, princess or, or, into, or a king or king a queen could marry one of these. Yeah, prince or king. Yeah, like uh, you'll see, you'll see this with a lot of the uh, with a lot of the Habsburgs were married. Uh, you know, they marry a prince so and so. Why is that okay? But Prince Ferdinand marrying Countess Kotek is not. Well, that's because the uh, uh, the Prince so and so is Reichs of Middlebar, and the Kotex are just ordinary, ordinary counts. The, uh, which I mean, for those of us who aren't noble, that's what do you mean, ordinary counts? Well, yeah. there were ranks. There are ordinary counts? Just ordinary counts, just like anybody else. I think being a count. Well, I'm happy as a mister. At any rate. You're a sir. Are you not a sir? Uh, no, I don't have a British knighthood. Only the British can make knights that have served? Yes. Why? I don't know. It's just the rules. I don't make it. That I live seems by. illogical. What about Catholic orders? The Chevalier. Oh, is that not, what is that translated? That's not. It's just knight. Oh, so they can't. No. I, strictly speaking, that unless is... somebody has a British knighthood, it should not be called sir. It should be called Chevalier or Cavallero or Cavalieri. That's all like it's not even that's not English. Well, I know that that's because it's not an English concept. But I mean, the sad truth of the matter is that in the English speaking world, there's only one fund of honor, only one fund of honor, other than the things like the Order of Malta and so forth. And that is uh, King Charles III. Well, what are knights? Wait, then what's our what are knights of Columbus? Nothing, they're not. I mean, they're not any. Not like that. They're no, not really. They're nice. not a chivalry. No, they're not really knights. Oh, okay. And I speak as a knight, both of a knight of Columbus and a knight of Peter Faber. What about those? Are they also not? They're same like knights of Columbus. Okay. Uh, they're not chivalric orders. Because they weren't. Okay, bishops can pre uh, can uh, prescribe. They can make, bishops can make knights, and, and of course, knights can gather in private associations. But that doesn't make them an order of knighthood. Again, there are degrees of ranks. All right, let me explain. No, no, I, I knighthood. I cannot believe this. Actually, I mean, I this. I don't know why I can't believe this. Or like, I guess it's shocking that like uh, that it, that an order is so an order basically can only be constituted by a ruling house. That a uh, but but the Pope can do it. Well, and has yes. Yes. So, but as the bishop is a 
The uh, bishop can make knights, but there's a difference between being a knight and being in an order. Okay. Just like there's a difference between being a priest and being in an order. Okay. You, you, you yes. Yes, I am. But All they right. wouldn't have, the, and they wouldn't have the same title. No. And and they basically let's go back to the beginning of knighthood. All right. Knighthood was, you might say, the baptism of the military procession profession by the church. Now. In the earliest days of knighthood, there were three kinds of people who could make you knight. A bishop, sovereign, or another knight. All that did was give you knighthood, which was conceived of as a sort of corporation, a general profession. That didn't and, give you a title or anything? anything well, like, in England it did. You would serve whatever, whoever okay. knighted. Okay, so what early, if, early on. So but what if a British bishop? Well, I will get that. Okay, so then you have the Crusades. And as a result of the Crusades, you have the great religious orders of life. The Order of Malta, Knights Templar, St. Lazarus, uh, Holy Sepulchre, Teutonic Knights, and then in Spain, you had Montesa, uh, Algetara, Calatrava, and Santiago. And, these, and there were a few others, but these orders were religious orders of knights. They were knights. But they were organized as religious orders. But then the sovereigns of Europe looked at that and they thought, boy, this is a great idea. I'd like to have some of my best knights together in orders. So that was the origin of the royal orders of knighthood. Okay. So that's things like the Golden Fleece, the Saint Michel in France, the Order of the Garter in England. What's the Holy Knights uh, of the Holy Ghost? Uh, that's the French Order. Okay. Is that, what is that? The Son of the Street. And that, uh, that their history and that of the order of Saint Michel are kind of linked. Saint Michel was the older order, but then they came up with the order of the Holy Ghost, and then I think you had to be a member of Saint Michel to get the Holy Ghost. That, that just sounds funny regarding you have to be an order of Saint Michael to get the Holy Ghost. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, if not, you can't even be confirmed. But <laughs> the, uh, too bad for you. But seriously, uh, these orders. Uh, spread and as time went on, as knighthood as a military profession ceased, uh, you 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 began to have hereditary knighthoods. Now, again, these are connected to feudal land or stuff like that. But the basic idea was that you had certain families whose members had always become knights, and that meant raising X number of troops from their lands. Well. In time, they became hereditary knights. You have them in Germany, in Italy, very few in France. Uh, and in England, they call them baronets. Okay, so that'd be interesting. Okay. So these hereditary knights are quite different. The other thing the English did was interesting. Obviously, all the while, you still had people who were knighted who were not members of an order. In England, it eventually became a rule that only the king could make knights. Okay. So, but he still made these independent knights, who in English were called knights bachelor, meaning they weren't members of an order. But uh, in the 1920s, they organized the Imperial Society of Knights Bachelor. So they made a society of so, independent knights? But it's knights. not an order, it's a society of independent knights. And, and okay. well, to, to show you the same, the same, uh, um, Phenomenon in a different light. In addition to the uh, 
the great religious order of knighthood, the Pope being a sovereign. He created his own orders of knighthood. Uh, St. Gregory, St. Sylvester, the Golden Spur. They have women now. That's a whole other issue. But these orders of knighthood were created, but they were not orders. They were more decorations. It's not like the Golden Fleece and the Garter, where you have annual services for these guys. There was no organization. But, but what then happened in the 20th century is you started getting national societies of papal knights. So, although there's no central place for the, for the Order of St. Sylvester, say, if you've got the Sylvester or the Gregory or any of these other papal orders, and you live in Britain, say, you could join the British Society of Papal Knights. And they have annual meetings and, and religious exercises. And so I mean, it's, 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 all, it's all very curious. And then just to add the helpfulness to things, uh, you began to have spurious knighthoods develop. That is to say, orders of knights that claim connections to Older orders, right? Like the, aren't there like uh, knights or, or knights that follow the Templar? Uh, well, but aren't there, there are. Um, but see, there again, you get all sorts of weird things because there was a group in France uh, at the time of Napoleon that called itself the Templars. Uh, they did not make any claim to be a direct descent from them, but so they, you know, they liked the idea. But they broke into a million pieces and various. These remnants of those actually claim to be descendants of the order of Einstein. To confuse things further, confusion being the guardian of truth, who says that, but anyhow, uh, there is a religious order of a, a revived Knights Templar in the Catholic Church that nevertheless does not claim real descent from the Templars, but they live by their rule. You see, isn't this wonderfully confusing? And there are Protestant sites. Oh, yeah. Well, there are indeed. Also bizarre. Well, see what happened there in the case of the Teutonic Knights in the Netherlands or the Knights. Which, which A, doesn't make any sense. How can you have Teutonic Knights? Because the Netherlands, Netherlands. Netherlands is part of the Holy Roman Empire. I know, but in the sense of Teutonic. They, well, they thought themselves that way then. They're German. Yeah, but, but they thought of themselves as German then. And after all, what is what is the German word for German? Deutsch. What is the English word for Dutch? Dutch. What uh, do what can you tell me about those two words? Very similar. Yeah, how come? Uh, because they uh were the same thing once. Okay. That's why we talk about the Pennsylvania Dutch who are German. Yeah. Pennsylvania Dutch. Well, yeah. that's because everyone thought they were Dutch. Or every, yeah, everyone thought they were Dutch, but they're actually German. Yeah. yeah. Because they called themselves Deutsch, and everyone was like, That's Dutch. That's Dutch, right? Yeah. And then they're like, We're not going to correct you. <laughs> Apparently. Everybody calls themselves what they want to. Well, no, these are, aren't these other people calling them that? Yeah. Or... But they took the name. I mean, ah! well, this is life, you know. I know. I mean, today some people claim to be intelligent, and others sane. You know, and that's how, those are both obvious lies for the vast majority of us. But what? Huh? Huh? Anyway. 
I don't know about you. I remember my late father used to say, there are only two, one, two I trust in the world, thee and me. Sometimes I wonder about thee. Now that's an old saying, because they would add to it. But now and then, I'm really not too sure about me. But I, I'm trying to live by those words. Trust yourself. On some occasions, in certain contexts, sure. Others, maybe not. Yeah. Self-acceptance is the key to mental health. Sure. If you say so. Devices or not. If you say so. Or not. Or not. Or not. But at any rate, bring the whole knighthood and the more powerful players. Oh, yeah, um, we didn't even get to the parents of two sisters. Oh, we are, though. I, I haven't forgotten them. Oh, no. Because, but it actually feeds into it, though. Fine. You'll see why. So the Bourbon of the two sisters uh, have their own split. Wait, is it because of liberalism? Well, not exactly. Oh, no. Not exactly. I prefer when they split over. Uh, you politics. like something. You like things clear. Well, yes. <laughs> there is a split over politics, but not the way you're thinking. Okay. All right. Yes. So basically, it's because it was a question of whether one member of the family who was after the main line died out. One member of the family was the next heir, but he had become a grandee of Spain. So the question was, did that make him ineligible to be king of the two systems? And it's on that that the whole thing rests. So his descendant is called the Duke of Calabria. Wait, it, so because he had a Spanish... Because he was a Spanish grandee. Okay, what, wait, what's a grandee? Highest rank of nobleman in Spain. Okay, so, so basically... Not a grandee, I'm sorry, he became a Spanish infante. Oh. A, member, a member of the uh, Spanish royal family. So a prince. So, what's that? Isn't that a prince? Yeah. Uh, so there was the, the question, can he be the rightful heir to the two systems? You're going to have to make me a chart. Uh, it would probably help. I could. So... His... Nobility and family trees and splits. Well, see, this is the fun part of this. And, and it has actually a lot of, how do I put it? relevance for what we're talking about. So his descendant is the Duke of Calabria. Now, his opponent, who is the next close, the, son, the grandson of the next close, is called the Duke of Castro. Now, the royal, the, the premier, the prime, the highest ranking order of knighthood in the Bourbons in Italy is called the Constantinian Order. Constantinian order was originally founded by the Byzantine emperor. Oh, I was actually thinking, oh, that's amazing. I yeah. thought they were just- Go figure, you're gonna figure they just picked, picked the name and liked yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, that's what I was they, thinking. So they read the novel Constantine and thought, that'd be great. That's a great name. Yeah, well, no, they bought it for the Byzantine emperor. They, he was in exile. They bought after, it. After the fall of, uh, after the fall of Constantinople in 1453, the heir to the Paleologues was in exile, he was out of dough, and he sold the, uh, the Grand Mastership of the Order to an Italian prince named Farnese. Were there any members of said knighthood at the time? Yeah. Okay. But he sold the Grand Mastery to the, uh, the Prince of Parma, who was a Farnese. Farnese's die out, the remaining heiress marries a Spanish Bourbon, and that's the beginning of Bourbon Parma. But the first Bourbon Duke of Parma leaves Parma and goes on to become king of the two sisters. 
So now you have two Constantinian orders, Parma and two Sicilies. This makes my Wikipedia searches so much more clear. But wait, it gets worse. You remember I told you about the split between Castro and Calabria? Yeah. Well, two Constantinian orders of the two systems. Two. So now you got three. Yeah. Isn't that neat? Yeah, that's great. But wait, it gets better. The Holy See recognizes both Neapolitan Constantinian orders. Yeah. Oh, the Parmesans too. The Parmesans too. Okay, gotta love it. Parmesan. Yeah, they have chicken and veal. But the thing is that the the uh, you will find one of the uh, the one of the Constantinians of the two Sicilies. They use the Church of Santa Croce of Flaminia, and the other uses uh, San Giorgio. Can the Church just say like, "Come on, work without people"? Well, they could, or they could actually make a decision for it. What makes it worse is that a few years ago, the there was an accommodation between the two branches because the Duke of Castro has only daughters. So it was agreed that uh, he and the Duke of Calabria would basically share the headship. And then when uh, Castro died, the headship would go to Calabria's son without any question. He's the only male heir. How but, can and that it... lasted about a year? Oh, why? Why did it end? Well, then Castro decided to name his daughter, his heiress. Can who be why? Why would you do that? I don't know. Ask him. I'd rather not. I can't pretend to know. I can't pretend I have any uh, idea how I would even ask that question. Well, that you can't. Is he dead? What's that? Is he dead? No, no, he's very much alive. Oh, yeah. But you still can't ask. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Well, I even mean, even if, if he was sitting here, if, if the Duke of Castro was sitting next to us, I would not dream of asking him that question. Oh, I would. I would. Why? I would just say, isn't that nice, Your Highness? You're not a good interviewer. Um, That's because you don't interview. Well, that could be part of you it. You get interviewed. I'm not a bad interviewee, I think. I, I would agree. But in terms of interview, well, I mean, it depends also who I'm interviewing. You wouldn't ask the, the Duke? No, I would not. But this, so you see, every branch of the House of Bourbon has a dispute like that. But the Habsburgs don't have that. No, they don't. How in the, see, this is how it's going to come back to uh, plus Charles. Exactly. How if, is that? Well, let's put it this way. If there are any divisions in the House of Habsburg, they keep them out of the public eye. I mean, would board, that mean that it's less, way less petty or just smart? Um, I don't know. Maybe at both. I don't know. Because, I mean, it seems very petty to uh, be very public about such disputes. Well, Inlet? it is. Let's put it this way. If you've inherited a side in a dispute like that, it's very tough to let go of it. Because you lose out. It's a, right? You don't lose out. It's a betrayal of your father and your grandfather all the way back to whenever the dispute started. Americans don't have as much no, we well, you got to bear in mind, we do it differently. 
we we don't place really a great deal of value in family. That's why the divorce rate is so high, and actually always has been. The United States, even back in the wonderful days before 1960, uh, we always had a much higher divorce rate than most of us. Now, mind you, they've all caught up with us, so we were advanced. I'm guessing that we had the same before uh, divorce was a thing. Yeah, we did. I mean, we were a very mobile society. Abandoning your family and moving on was an easy thing to do in start, especially when the frontier was up and going. Well, isn't it even more preferable or more prominent once women have gotten more into doing it? Oh, well, then. Because it, it was mostly men that would be. It was bad enough, but it was only men. Well, yeah, like it was only men, and now and then chicks take it. Now it's now it's women because a lot of reasons probably. There's a, a lot of social reasons that. Uh, well, are, there are, are there are basically the whole world has become a big bordello, and I mean that in the best possible sense. Is it a fancy one? No, actually, that's the sad thing. Imagine a Motel Six was a bordello. That's the state of the world today. Well, and not just a bordello, but a murderous, bloody bordello. Yeah. There, I mean... Yeah. But I mean that in a nice sense. Yeah, in a nice manner, you know. I'm, I'm celebrative. But seriously, uh, at any rate, long and the short of all this good stuff, uh, I, there are many phony orders, phony this and phony that. And there is a gentleman in Palm Beach, actually, I think he's dead now, but anyway, he claimed to be the heir to the Byzantine Empire. And for a cash consideration, would make you a member of his Constantinian order, which was the real one, because he was the Byzantine Emperor. But the Byzantine Emperor had sold it. You know, that was that was a thing. And as the rightful heir to the empire, he could sell it. I do prefer to say that all the things that I don't like that were done previously, they just weren't legal. Yeah. So they didn't happen. Well, I mean, we I could mean, do that if we could do it with gender. Why can't we do it with historic events? I mean, in some sense, if you like, God does that. God doesn't. God doesn't recognize the legal judgments of divorces. Well, that's true. So they're just playing playing God, aren't they? In a sense, although I like what my nephew Albert used to say when he was young, because I think it was the most honest expression of modernity I've ever heard in my life. You know what it was? I don't like that, so it's a lie. And I, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up. But uh, at any rate, the uh, uh, one of the fellows was a big one in the Byzantine Constantinian order. The Palm Beach one. The Palm Beach one, the real one. Uh, he uh, he was of some note in Los Angeles, and he was pushing me to join him. Well, how do you meet these people? Be in the wrong place at the right time. But at any rate, okay. I, I, uh, I, I didn't want to annoy him, but I wanted to make it clear that I wasn't interested and that I knew something about it. So what I told him, which is actually true, I said, look, I have friends in, the three, in each of the three Bourbon Constantinian orders, and I'm not joined any of them for fear of annoying the other two. 
Now you bring me a fourth. And he left me alone after that. So I would just say in all of this that there is, I mean, obviously, the vast majority of people have very little interest in any of this. Uh, and what these sorts of divisions have done, if anything, when they be, when they hit the papers, they become a little, because everyone wants to think the worst of monarchy anyway. We all feel good about that because it makes all of ourselves feel better about ourselves. But when you consider what we accept in everyday life and how wretched we've allowed everyday life to become, you can understand why we would need to do this. And critics just point to, uh, point to like minor or way less uh, like problems within family, within royal, uh, families. royal families and say, oh, this is the reason why we're- uh, Why we're a republic. Yeah, why we're a republic. And run by the likes of uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, exactly. So like behind us, don't, don't, don't pay attention to anything, you know, anything behind us. They don't attention to the man behind the curtain. Well, it's, it's true. I mean, there is, uh, there is also the, the constant expectation we, we, we hold the royals to a higher standard. We hold our politicians. And in, but our politicians actually rule us. Yes, in some sense, well, you should hold everyone to a high standard. Yep. And that's the... And that's the um, well, well, of course, starting with ourselves. Well, you, and, we know, yeah. and we know we can't do that. because That might become self-hatred, which is unhealthy. Well, yes, that involves uh, Catholic guilt. Yeah. You know what another word for Catholic guilt is? Realism. Well, conscience. You know, and, and actually, think about it. We all wish other people felt guilt. I mean, if somebody yells at you or smacks you, don't you wish you felt a sense of guilt about that? Yeah. All right. That's point one. Point two. Do you think you yourself are always perfect, always do the right thing? Well, you short circuit the argument, but if if you have a scintilla of sense, you know that well, you're not always wonderful. Which, if how can you say uh, that? Uh, living in the world for sixty-one, you know, almost sixty-two years. I feel so insulted. I know. On my own show. That's right, and I have only one word: tough. T o u g h for those who can't spell. But uh, honestly, that's most people. Most people can't spell. Yeah, they me, don't know what words are. The they hard words, words mean. The hard words are. I myself may be the problem. I myself may be the bad guy. Um, we like to look outward to find people to blame or be contemptuous of. Well, everyone does evil things, but I don't do evil things. So. Well, no, by virtue of being me, I understand how that works. But of course, it's a lie. And so we need to try to cultivate in ourselves a sense of right and wrong, a sense of guilt that we wish everybody else had, especially those people who annoy us. And if we do that, if we try to avoid, avoid being the sign of the golden rule, but if we try to avoid doing it to others what we don't want to do ourselves, we'll be a Based how much better everything is becoming. Only politicians will do that. Well, I was saying, didn't I mention people, human beings? They're not people. No. 
Actually, you know the old joke about uh, why it is they, they started using politicians for medical experiments instead of rats? Well, two reasons. One, the lab technicians started forming emotional attachments to the rats. And two, there's some things you just can't get rats to do. <laughs> yes, they're not as healthy as uh, fossil. That's right, not as pleasant. But uh, at any rate, uh, so there we are. I've, I've, I've said everything I could say. Well, for the moment, anyway. I'm running out of steam. Well, just, how does that, how does everything you said connect to Blessed Charles? Funny you should ask. Because a lot of people collect orders and titles, this sort of thing. Charles was a member of several. The most important of which was the Order of the Golden Fleece. Before he would accept membership, he demanded that the rules be translated so he could read them and make sure that he could live up to them. And when he was knighted, or they translated them? Sure, from Old French. And they had, they had to find some scholars to do it because yeah. it was. But they did it, and he, um, he was able to take it. Is that like your, uh, not yours, but you wrote the foreword to it, the chivalry book? The which? Chivalry? Yeah. Is that similar to those types of rules? Those types of rules, yeah. So he, uh, he read through that, and he decided he could live by it. And so he, did the, he, took, he took the oath. Now this, joining the Order of the Golden Fleece was a pro forma thing for the members of the House of Hamsburg. They all did it. Um, and, you know, it was just a ritual you went through, like graduation from junior high, but not with him. And he treated his marriage the same way. And then his coronation as king of Hungary. He did not believe in empty ritual. And I'll tell you, um, when the queen died and they had the uh, king's succession, it was done in beautiful language that comes to us in the Middle Ages. Chaucer. Oh, well, not, not quite, but uh, if I can pull it up quickly, I will give you a uh, Shakespearean? Um, well, you'll see. Uh, it was done not just in, in cities all over Britain, but all over Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the Crown Commonwealth. Uh, I did a uh, I did a legacy of Queen Elizabeth with Bondi Radio with Peter. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, now, mind you, they they weren't all the same, but this was the basic the basic language. Uh, and here it is: Whereas it is pleased Almighty God to call to His mercy our late Sovereign Lady Queen Elizabeth II of blessed and glorious memory. By whose decease the crown of the United Kingdom, Great Britain, and Northern Ireland is solely and rightfully come to the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George. We, therefore, the Lord spiritual and temporal of this realm, and members of the House of Commons, together with other members of Her Late Majesty's Privy Council, and representatives of the realms and territories, aldermen, and citizens of London, and others, do now hereby, with one voice and consent of tongue and heart, publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George, 
is now by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, become our only lawful and rightful liege lord, Charles III. By the grace of God of the kingdom of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of his other realms and territories, King, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith, to whom do we acknowledge all faith and obedience with humble affection, beseeching uh, God by whom kings and queens do reign, to bless his majesty with long and happy years to reign over us. Given at St. James's Palace on this 10th day of September in the year of our Lord, 2022. God save the king. They did our year of our Lord. What's that? I'm amazed they did uh, I, the, uh, our, the, what is it, the year of our Lord. Yeah. That's uh, 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 mighty impressive. Mighty impressive. Well, also saying beseeching God by whom kings and queens do reign. Sure, yeah. To bless his majesty with long and happy years to reign over us. Well, I mean, my point more is just like academia is so much has gone over to central or, or what is it, uh, um, common era, you know. Right, which and, they didn't do with this. Yeah, which and, is. And well, it opens up, whereas it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy. That's talking about the judgment. Mm -hmm. Our late sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth II. These, this phraseology, most of it comes to us in the Middle Ages from kids on the Catholic days. Yeah. And what's funny about it, of course, is that you know in all the multiple, multiple, multiple times that the accession was read throughout Britain, uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand. It was read by both, either or both. Republicans and uh, atheists. Yeah. And yet they all felt the need to go to the, you know, to, uh, to uh, conform to the custom, to wrap themselves briefly in the mantle of the monarchy. Yeah. Uh, I wish, of course, that those words meant what they say. And blessed Emperor Charles. For him, they had to. He did not believe in empty ritual, which I tell you is a tremendous facet of the Anglo-Saxon mind. If you don't believe me, compare our abortion laws, our divorce laws, our everything else, and what's on our money that God we trust. With the fact that, I mean, my two favorite examples in Washington, every session, of the Supreme Court opens with the, the, the uh, bailiff, whatever he is saying, after he calls it to order, God save the United States and this honorable court. Wouldn't it be great if we meant that? If that had if any, that. any relation? Uh, and then similarly, the Supreme Court every year attend the Red Mass at St. Matthew's Cathedral. What a lie. Well, maybe not now. It certainly has been for decades up to it. Or quite a lot of time. And the thing is, this sort of empty ritual that makes us feel good, very Anglo-Saxon. And it is precisely what Charles was not. Imagine if all these things we say and do in these kinds of rituals were true. What if we really believe in a United States uh, indivisible under God. What if we really believe the under God part? Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, so we can't really do anything 
in the immediate anyway, about society as a whole. But we can control ourselves. I know, I know what you're thinking. So when we take oaths, we can mean we can keep them. We can mean to keep them. When we go through anything from, I don't know, entrance into fraternities to uh, graduation, we can make it real. Our baptismal promises, our confirmation promises, our marriage vows. We can all take this seriously. I mean, what you're. Uh, yes, mean yes, and you know, just so we can actually do that. And Emperor Carl did. And this is why, although he would have led a very comfortable life if he'd been willing to renounce the throne, he believed, having recited the coronation oath, that he had to keep it until he died. That's why he made his two attempts to regain the crown of Hungary. Um, we're not familiar with that kind of thing. In a lot of ways, we base our society upon lies. And we assume that everyone's working uh, on the same lies and that they're selfish. Yeah, so, which, and that gives us carte blanche to be the same. Yeah, and, but like, it allows us to think that people that are actually um, doing things for not just themselves. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're totally doing it They're themselves. getting something out of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's only good for them anyways. And it, what's interesting, is the House of Habsburg between the year 1829 and the year 1914 dumped $26 million into the Catholic Church in the United States, founded 400 parishes, financed 300 missionaries, including St. John Merlin, uh, and sent over tons of statues, chalices, and windows and stuff. Uh, and where one does know in history that sometimes missionary efforts were financed by different countries for political gain. There was nothing Austria Hungary could get out of the United States. Zip. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, they basically sacrificed uh, an archduke and a prince in Mexico yep. to the, uh, the well, oligarchy of uh, Mexico and the United States. And then in 1918, the whole country. Big. That 26 million made a great down payment on destruction and ruin. Yeah. Always smile, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's how we got to end it. Yeah, I think so. It has been a wonderful day in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we were going to do this in the Dealey Plaza, site of JFK's assassination, but we didn't. Exactly. We did. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, please like, share, comment, and subscribe, and ring the bell button so you actually know when things come out. Um, well, uh, Blessed Charles or Bernobis. Uh, uh, Char Charles, we can find you at Tumblr House and all over the internet. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Virgin Most Powerful uh, Radio is brought out. I've just started it last Tuesday, so it'll yeah. be available Monday. A new podcast called The Never Ending Struggle about different elements in church history. Makes sense with you, never ending. Indeed, I'll never, I'll never come to the end of it. Um, you can read my stuff on the European Conservative, Catholicism.org, uh, Crisis. Uh, uh, help me, help me. One Peter Five. Were those plugs? Oh, I, I hope that wasn't a plug. Oh, 
you're taking me right back to the 60s. There was always, they got talk shows, you know. So what are you doing, Charles? Oh, this week I'll be appearing at the Palladium. Oh, is that a plug? Well, why else were they on the show? They were probably plugging. Of course not here. Have you no sense of journalistic integrity? <laughs> Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If journalistic integrity isn't very expensive, it's not worth paying for at all. What? <laughs> who's, who's feeding me these lines? What's wrong with this food? I think the script is gone I, a little off. I don't know. Something's wrong with the idiot cards, ladies and gentlemen. We've lost the plot on plot line. The th the, we've lost the thread on thread line. Somehow I don't think we're on the county road anymore. We've, we've lost the tumble. A tumble house. house. We lost the house anyway. No. No. <laughs> no, no, the tower is there. It's oh, house. That, it's gone. That's gone. The tower is safe. Well, because, you know, you got to take care of, uh, you got to take care of the you know the business. Tyrone and yeah. Rose and Lydia and all the gang. But does does Vincent really need a place to live? Well, no, he doesn't really. I mean, he's got tons of suites in the tower. Oh, okay. There so you go. See, the house could go. It, it, he's got tons of places. The uh, there was all oh, this came up last week. What was it? Uh, oh, yeah. The the uh, uh, we he and I haven't discussed this, but uh, when I was in uh, New England last week. New Jersey and New York. The uh, the joke was that uh, the day that I finally remember what happened on the 13th floor, you know what they decided it was? Uh, uh, Friday the 13th. I found myself in the Paramus Mall. <laughs> the doors opened and there I was. You shouldn't make fun of the Paramus Mall. New Jersey is a wonderful place. I don't. Don't, uh, you know Anthony, uh, Anthony uh, from Avoiding Babylon? Uh, uh, from Burning Babylon? No, Avoiding Babylon, the oh. game show? No. They've asked you on before. Well, maybe I've been on. I don't no, know. No, you have because it's an evening and you'd be asleep. <sighs> oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. Well, he would disagree that New Jersey is great because he's from New York. Well, so am I. And you're, yeah, exactly. So, so am I. But, well, you, you'll notice with Vinnie and me, we always trade places on Jersey. Sometimes he defends it and I attack it, and then vice versa. Well, how can he? Well, I guess he's he is both sides because he's just Italian. So he's just a, he's Italian, so he's got both sides. Yeah, he, he can do both sides. It's it's not like the Irish, you know, like Sergeant O'Leary. Oh yeah, he's walking in speed. I and prefer I, uh, a transgender Winston Churchill. <laughs> <Bob>. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, those are in jokes. If you want to know what they're all about, you've got to watch off the menu. Otherwise, yes, exactly. This is that last part was just an advertisement. That's true. A, a shameless grab to your attention. I'm not getting paid. No, exactly. no, that's for sure. That's we wouldn't sure. put out a pen. Anyway, <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. And it's it's been great. God bless.